my experience was when I got sober, that's when everything went to shit. That's when I woke up every morning and I literally said, fuck, I'm still Nick. Shit. What do I got to do today? You can hear it in my voice. Like, oh, I, man, yeah, I like, can. Like, I, I got to get up. I got to go do today, right? I'm in the middle of, the, I mean, I moved all the way to the East Coast. Didn't know anyone. Didn't want to make friends with anyone. You know, I'm 20 years old and I'm living in a house. With, I'm living in essentially a sober frat house. You know, 30 right. guys. Okay. Hi, folks, and welcome to the Undo Anxiety Podcast. Um, I uh, really, truly appreciate you protecting time to um, tune in. And a quick note on um, the relatively new name of this thing, Undo Anxiety. The idea here is to eliminate taboos by telling our stories one by one, because in the end, we find out we're all suffering something. And, um, and the idea is if we kind of like show our undue anxieties to the world, the things we're suffering, uh, we can undo some of that undue anxiety. Um, so that's, that's the hope here. And, uh, and I hope you kind of get that out of it on the back end of this. To that end, I have with me today um, uh, a, to me, a fascinating young guy, and I think you're going to find the same. Um, his name is Nick. Nick, welcome to uh, Undo Anxiety here. Thank you, Dr. Duffy. That's, uh, I've, uh, I've known you for a while now, like uh, I think almost 10 years at this point. I think it's about 10 years. Yeah, I think it's so, about 10 years. And we were talking a minute ago, and you were saying you were reflecting back on that day, which you seem to remember better than I do. Do you mind telling the story of how you know you and I met and how this all got started? Yeah, I, I remember the first time I saw you in great detail. Um, <laughs> it was not my decision to come see you for the first time, as most things at, around that age were basically between like 10 and 15. Everything was my parents told me what to do, and I had to listen, right. um, and not undeservedly. Uh, so, <laughs> how, I, how old were you ten years ago? I think I was sixteen. So that nine. Right. That's nine years ago. I yeah. can't remember, but I was able to drive. I think because I was in a car. I'm pretty sure I was driving. So, I was driving in a car, and it was raining, and I believe it was spring because it was track season. And I was going to my friend's house, and I had a bong and a bunch of weed in the trunk of the car, and we were going to go smoke. And I was very excited about this. Um, I think I had a new, it was something like a new bong or something. I can't remember. It was a, it was a long time ago. Um, and my mom called me and she basically gave me the news that you're going to the, you're going to see this person. You need help. And, uh, you know, she didn't exactly say that, but that's what was going on. And I definitely fought it. And, uh, as usual, she won, um, as most parents do. And, uh, <laughs> I ended up with I ended up in your office, and this was way back when. This is when you were still right outside of Hinsdale, I think. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, off, uh, I don't remember. It's like somewhere off of Kingery. I think it was Kingery. Uh, yeah, but. I was in the subterranean, yeah, I was wretched little yeah, office. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, mm-hmm. I, was, I was down there, and I, uh, I sat down, and I, <laughs> um, I could definitely, like, put off, uh, you know, my gloves are off, you know, stay away from me kind of attitude, and that's how I felt because I was sat down next to my mother, and um, I definitely didn't think I, you know, I didn't want to think about myself as a kid who, whose mother could make him go to a therapist, basically, was All the situation right. I was in. And I, and speaking candidly, I was in desperate need of that. Um, but I was unwilling to say anything. I was judging you. And I forgot, some other conversation went to, so what does your day look like, Nick? You go to school. After school, you get in a car with your buddies. You roll up a blunt. You smoke it. And then you just go about your day. And somehow that broke the ice for me. <laughs> and, and I remember that in detail. That was my first meeting with you, and it's been almost weekly for 
the last nine years. At right, least. right, right. Yeah. So, so what was it? Just so to inform my work with other people, what yeah. was it about that recognition of like you know? What uh, was it? Just that I recognize that you're not this perfect kid who does this perfect stuff, but you're like a 16 year old who's going to roll up a blunt with his buddies. Like, was it like just? Or was it that I had an accurate read on you? Or what What do you think it was? It seemed like... I, so the, the truth of the answer, I don't know. But what my head makes me think is that you weren't going to sugarcoat anything for mm. me. You, yeah. you weren't interested. You di- Actually, I, I felt like that means you didn't have an ulterior motive with me. I got it. There was no... There was no textbook you had sitting behind you that was telling you what to say to me. Right. And that was important to me because I feel that well i write people off pretty quick it's not something i'm proud of but i couldn't write that off i was like ah he's not there there's no bs there right um and i'll try not to swear Uh, i'm working on that but it might we'll we'll both have to work on that today (laughs) i'll work on that but that's what yeah all right so so around that time so you know like why did your mom think like okay you know you're, you're not the only 16 year old who would roll out of high school, roll up a blunt, and and hang out with his buddies, right? So, yeah. but your mom really felt like this was necessary, and she may not, if you were a regular sixteen-year-old, she didn't know every detail of your life at that point. How did she know that you needed help, or how do you even know, sitting here now? Yeah, I was in desperate need at that time. Um, well, the main way I understand that is, I didn't start getting over a lot of the stuff until recently like until the last three years the mm-hmm. th- so I didn't even re- I, I wouldn't have said I needed help then three years ago I wouldn't have been as aware as I am now right but um, I'll say this for one my mother is an extremely intuitive woman and we share basically every trait that you can imagine she's a little bit more personable than I am but we share everything so she saw a lot in me mm-hmm. and um, to put it simply and this isn't to glorify it I was extremely angry. I pushed everyone in my family as far away from me as I possibly could, and I'm pretty sure that she was aware that I was driving around with a bunch of weed in my trunk, going to my buddy's house to get high, and that was about the only thing that I had going in my life. Right. Um, And that's about all I wanted to have going on in my life. But I think the red flag for her was my anger, which is, you know, not a pretty thing, and I... That's still something I have to work on every day, uh, right. really. But that I think that might have been the key thing. And, and the truth was, I was – sometimes I still am, but, I mean, I was a 15- or 16-year-old kid that was absolutely terrified all the time of everything. You know, I had a lot of friends. I, I had people calling me. I you know, I had people who wanted to be around me. I went to all the cool parties, and I inside it was like I was, you know, trying to fight my way into the ring. And everyone else is in the middle of that ring, and I was on the outside. And that's. I remember that juxtaposition. I remember thinking, like, it's it's interesting. I'm sitting across from this kid, who is popular by every reasonable measure, and yet there's a significant anger and fear. Do you think the anger and fear were either closely connected or exactly the same? Oh, closely connected. I definitely have fear without anger. Um, and I definitely have anger that's not based on fear, but most of the time it's directly related. Um, fear leads to anger almost all the time for me. That's my experience. And I, and I will say this, you know, I was popular, but there are definitely times where I had people say, we don't want to be around you. You know, I, I was, I can be domineering. I have, you know, I'm not perfect. It's just right. the truth. And, uh, but I mean, I, I was really sad. 
I was really sad. And I'll tell you what. Um, it's funny. This is so jump back before I even started seeing you. Good. So I basically lived with this no one likes me and obsessing about what other people think about me all the time. Um, extreme discomfort. And that goes back. Basically, I as soon as I became aware of the fact that I was a human being and I had to interact in the world, like when I left over the point of living in a world of imaginary toys, playing guns and, you know, war with my friends and G.I. Joes. Yeah. And I entered so, any sort of self-awareness in a social realm where I was like my – who I was is based on the reflection of others around me. I was just so absolutely utterly terrified, like I said before, and I assumed everyone didn't like me. Um, and I was just terrified of what other people thought, and I was constantly looking for affirmations that I was good enough, that people liked me. Um, and I don't blame that on any, no one did that to me. That, I was going to ask you, is there a fall guy without implicating no. anybody you love? Was it like, you know, <laughs> that's me. boy, my parents broke me down or, you know, my sister or somebody else. No, huh? If it did, I'm not aware of it and I don't really care about finding it, but yeah. that's just how it was. Um, you just, you, you were, you were, once self-awareness came in, insecurity came in with it. Yeah, absolutely. It was, yeah. uh, you know, like chains being wrapped around me at all times and blinders were on and I was always like, you know, groping around and underwater, like choking, you know, mm -hmm. like, that's how I felt. And then I got high for the first time and basically all of that immediately went away. Um, I can think about it in detail again, one of those other, you know, flashball memories, I think they call them, which are actually not always accurate, but this one's pretty accurate. Yeah, let's um, hear it. First time I got high, I went to this pizza shop with a buddy. Um, and we were there, and an older kid, it was my sister's friend. I forgot his name, and I really don't care who he was. <laughs> but I remember really caring about what those older kids thought about me, right? Like right. My four or five years older than me. And, man, I made a lot of decisions to make them think cool things about me. But that time, he was looking at me, and, I mean, I was, I was stoned. Like, I was extremely high. Um, and he was laughing at me, like, look at this kid. You know, my eyes must have been really red. I had a big afro and was a goofy-looking human being. Um, <laughs> and I didn't care that he was laughing at me at all. I did not care. And I will never forget that feeling. Now, that basically, um, that feeling um, ruled my life in every sense of the form going forward for the next, I can't remember how long, but until the end of my, until the beginning of my sophomore year of college. So sometime in the beginning of my freshman year of high school until the first year of my sophomore year of college, that's really all that I cared about was that feeling of I don't care what other people think because I'm high. And, and, and that was important for you to escape, huh? It was that important that, and you weren't getting high just to get high then. You were getting high to escape something. Um, well, <laughs> <laughs> maybe. I might be oversimplifying that. Yeah, so... I believe that I essentially just liked the feeling uh -huh. and that, so I, that was the initial there's, it's two part, you know, it's, that was the moment, but I didn't need that, those moments every time I got high. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I loved getting high in general and the same thing happened when I started to drink for the first time. I loved drinking. And at that point I had already found my escape with weed, which was like, Oh, I don't care what other people think. Um, with drinking, it was just more fun. Yeah. And so. I mean, from there, it was it was basically went from the first time I got high to getting high every single day, morning, day, and night, and then drinking as soon as that, you know, came. And, uh, I mean, should I speak candidly? I mean, should, you know. There's no, uh, why, why don't we speak candidly? We, yeah. we can always, we can edit, man. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> you know, yeah. So, I mean, I started, I mean, immediately after I got high for the first time, I mean, I was selling drugs before I had a driver's license. Right. Um, you know, I, it, it was the perfect solution to me. I had a reason for people to communicate with me. I had a, I had a third party reason, right? It wasn't just because of me. 
I didn't have to become vulnerable. It was, you know, people are calling me to buy drugs. Right. Um, I started meeting older, cooler people, you know, and before I knew it, I, I, I would, I, I don't know, because I, I don't know everyone else's story, but I don't think many other kids were doing what I was doing at 17. Like, I was getting really, really high-quality drugs from the south side of Chicago at 17, which I would drive, I would ditch school to go pick up weed um, that was coming from, you know, it was stand from places in California, you know, and, and all, I'm not saying that to brag. I'm saying this is how I thought, like, right. I am, oh, I'm it. I, I made it. I got it. This is it. And you there's know. a little bit of, like, in fairness to you, there's a little bit of truth to that, right? I mean, you were kind of this one-man enterprise at 17, and you were moving a lot of weed around, weren't you? I mean, it was, it was um, you were supplying an area, effectively, were you not? Um, I, so, I was supplying a group of people in, yeah. like, uh, multiple high schools, but in general, no. Like, there were three or four other guys that were much, much larger than me, um, and... That it didn't matter to me though, really. Like you know, I was doing what I could, and there are definitely people that are much better at it. Cause, I mean, just I, you know, I'm a horrendous drug addict. I, I did, I did it to, you know, I was convincing myself it was because I had it made, but really I was doing it to feed my addiction. I believe, actually, I know it for a fact. There's no doubt that if I didn't want to get high all the time and never run out of drugs, I would never have been selling drugs. It wasn't. That's what it was for. I had unlimited supply. It made me feel good. It made me feel cool. I had, and it was. I'm never going to run out, right? But there are definitely a lot bigger, badder drug dealers around, and they didn't seem to have the same ego around it that I did. Right. Um, I'm sure they didn't, actually, and um, definitely made a lot more money than I did, but I definitely found my niche of, like, finding this real specialty. I mean, everyone knows it now. I think weed's legal here. Well, it's legal in, like, five states now. That specialty weed that was you know, five, six years ago, like, right. this real unique names and all that stuff. So I was really into it. It was... It was my thing. It was my identity, in and out, inside and out. And partying was the other part of it. And did you need that? I mean, you know, uh, uh, did you feel like, well, I don't bring enough other important stuff to the table that's going to have some social value, man. This is I'm going to have to bring this. This is going to be my thing. Absolutely, yeah. My my self worth was based on the quality of the drugs in my pocket. Wow. And so basically, the larger the jail sentence, based on those drugs, the cooler I was. I know that sounds weird, but like when I started getting older and selling like uh, MDMA and LSD and 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 uh, you know prescription painkillers and stuff like that, that's when I you know I started to expand and you know at the end, I mean it was to the point where someone was like, you know, Nick, drugs aren't that cool, right? But it was all I had. I was holding on to it pretty mm -hmm. hard, and I was talking to you a lot. Um, right, man. Let's jump forward. I'm thinking again. So another yeah, big, another big John Duffy moment. <laughs> And uh, you, so honestly, you probably know me better than any other human being on the planet now. I've, I've shared almost everything from, you know, the biggest years of my life. But it was uh, summer of 2011, and uh, the Electric Forest Music Festival had just moved back to Rothbury, uh, Rothbury Michigan. It used to be a, a, a different music festival in Michigan. Now it's Electric Forest, and this big band, String Cheese Instance, plays there, and can you, can you give uh, listeners an idea of what Electric Forest is kind of about, just so they have some idea if they don't know? It's um, the biggest, it's one of the biggest wildest parties in the world, literally. Um, and it's basically uh, electronic dance music as well as um, some very, very good jam bands like the String Cheese Incident. Yeah. And people come there from all over the country and even from all over the world. Um, and they party for three days straight, yep. and um, and not just drinking. The, the, the people are doing drugs. People are doing pills, right? Oh yeah, yeah, by yeah, and large, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't want to rat, you know, 
honestly, parents, yeah, let your kids go to this. They, they might need this experience because this it, I needed it, right? Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I don't so want to rat it out. It. Yeah, I yeah, yeah, yeah. It. It's right. a great time. It's extremely fun if you aren't me. And I, that might have been, this might have been the first time I realized I was a drug addict. But And by the way, almost any I mean, any music festival is going to have yeah. drugs, right? Absolutely. I mean, you know, so if you, and, and yet there's a cultural element to it you don't want your kids to miss. Yeah, exactly. Uh, right? So yeah, I yeah. think that's so to your, to I your point. Trying, I, I get it. I was trying to protect the, yeah, yeah. The, the homies out there that want to go to a, you know, Oh, and just to you know, clarify, I haven't drank or done drugs in five years, and I'm still saying that thing because I think everyone should. I believe that everyone has to go through something. Everyone yeah. has to have some experiences. You know, the uh, you know, I went through a really hard period of the unexamined life is not worth uh, living, and then someone goes, "Yeah, well, the unlived life is not worth examining." And ooh, uh, yeah, so ooh, it's definitely changed some things, right? So I believe in getting you know, getting knocked down and your knees scraped up and stuff. I've definitely done that, but you, um, you don't regret your experience. No, absolutely not. Okay. Um, I regret a couple of times where I did too many drugs. I think it messed up my brain. But mm -hmm. besides that, I don't really regret anything. I would have absolutely, I mean, I would have done things differently, but I didn't have that option, right? Like, yeah, I so wish that I would have spent all my time in high school studying right. rather than driving around selling $20 bags of weed. If I would have been doing that, maybe I would have went to a good college rather than a low-cost college in the middle of nowhere, you know, <laughs> that I could just scrape by in. But that that wasn't me, and it's never going to be me. And I probably – well, no, I'm going to say it. I definitely have a better job than the majority of kids who went to those Ivy League schools. Like, I've got a great opportunity. You know, it's it, it all worked out for me. But looking back, I my, my, my values are so different. Like, I value discipline and effort and perseverance. Like, back then – I offer, I valued like who can have the wildest night ever, right? Like yep. who can do the craziest stuff and have the most fun. And that's just what I valued then. And I don't think anything ever would have changed that at that point. And it's interesting. Like, you know, I have a bunch of thoughts running through my head. One is I'm thinking like, you know, if, if you're a parent and you've got a kid who's a teenager, who's experimenting like crazy or maybe using something too much, going, living life in excess, um, I could almost hear in, what, in your story, um, oh, well, everything works out, right? Here I'm talking to a guy who's five years sober, who's got this great job, and is richer for the experience of having gone through something. Um, and yet, I think you and I both know, not every story ends like yours. No, a lot of kids end up dead. Yeah. A, lo a lot of kids end up dead. Truth. I'm sure at this, so let's jump. So I'm going to jump back and forth because I'm out of my mind. But Nick and I are going to be all over yeah, the place. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> let's go back because I'm sure this event in 2011, I'm positive that someone died there that weekend. I should have died. Like, I can't even really? imagine. Yeah, but so we were sitting in my office, and I was really wrapped up with this girl, uh, Taylor, from college, my freshman year of college, this yes. Texan girl who, you know, she walked into my dorm room. I, it was love at first sight. She walked into my dorm room. She had this purse with, like, a bottle of liquor hanging out of it, and she, like – pulled out her Texas weed. She's like, oh, I have California weed. And I pulled out this really amazing, like, and, you know, it was this really weird time where I was so wrapped up in drugs and, and that kind of thing. And um, it was she, we, you know, I'd been chasing her all freshman year. We kind of, like, got together at the end of it. And she got back with her ex-boyfriend. And so I was kind of a mess. And we were like, and I was like, should I go to Electric Forest or not? Right. Right. And you, um, and you, uh, we flipped a coin in your office across the hallway <laughs> and it was, yeah, you're going to electric forest. Right. And so th that, if I, I would not be where I am now. Like I would be doing bad still if I hadn't gone that, that time. So it was meant to be, I know it. Right. So 
Electric Forest Music Festival. Within like 48 hours, I, I don't know if you guys have ever seen Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, but I got a collection going like that. And then I got in a car. We drove to Electric Forest, and I had every sign in the universe tell me to stop. The car broke down. We had to get picked up in another vehicle. I wow. mean, it was, it was a disaster, right? Yeah. And we get in. We're getting torn up because there's this heroin addict who was driving with us, and he – I think he was high or nodding out. So, something red flagged him. You know, it was just a typical junkie thing. You know, like he was just nodding out. Nothing against him. I, you know, people, you know, I, it's, I believe it's a sickness, you know. And, and we got just searched. And, I mean, I <laughs> if we, if we got, I mean, the car got torn apart. And I had very elaborately hidden everything. And But if I would have gotten caught, I would still be in jail today. No doubt. I never would have gotten out of right. jail. It would have been a life sentence. Yeah. Um, and uh, so I get there, and, and so I'm having a panic attack, essentially, because my car, the car is getting torn apart. We get through, and my solution to that is to eat as much LSD as I possibly can, because I have a panic attack, and if I feel anything, I need to get high. And just fast forward it, benzos, benzos and alcohol were mixed in with every other sort of drug you can imagine, and I woke up on Monday. Um, that's literally how it was. I woke up on Monday. I was supposed to have... So you, mi- you missed it effectively. You were yeah. out. I remember a few moments. I remember the song by Edward Sharpie and the Magnetic Zeros coming on, which was like me and that girl's song, and that made me go crazy. Uh, that's probably when the benzo started. And then, um, you know, from there, I just my pattern was eat a bunch of drugs that lift you up, and when I start losing my mind with anxiety, I eat some downers, and I did that all weekend. And, and that's basically like the, uh, the, that's basically the concoction that kills most people, so right. I'm really, really lucky to have made it through it. But I remember two things. Remember that Sharpie song, and then I remember leaving the festival at like three in the morning, and everyone walks that. It's like a giant. It's like basically a giant arena with all the with all the stages. There's ten or fifteen stages, and then you walk out at the end of the night, and you go to the tents, and that's where all the partying continues. On. Right. And I was walking around looking at all these people, and I mean, I was out of my mind. I mean, the world was a cartoon world. It's it's hard to imagine, but if you haven't crossed the line, you won't wouldn't understand. That's a Hunter S. Thompson quote. But I was out of my mind, and I was looking around judging everyone. I was like, look at all these drug addicts, look at all these, and then I like stopped, and I looked around, and I really just just took it in for what was, everyone was having a great time, and all, and I was the drug addict. Like, I was like, I'm not here, this, they're here having fun, mm-hmm. I am here to continue doing these drugs. It was, it was, music festivals are three days of no police officer enforcement of any laws, really, because it doesn't, they're not, no one's hurting anyone, some people die, unfortunately, can't always prevent that, but, um. But you everyone's know? kind of nobody's driving. Everyone's yeah. kind of staying in the same area. Yeah, no one's yeah. fighting. Like it mm-hmm. is really like a loved base, freedom of expression. Everyone gets along. Everyone's really nice, right. you know. And and but not me. I was there to do drugs, and it and it sank in, right? So it just flipped on you in a moment, huh? Yeah. Where it's like, oh, I'm the drug addict. They're all, yep. They're all here for the right reasons. I'm the guy. Yeah, absolutely. I'm the one. Yeah. yeah. Wow. That, that was so. That was one of the biggest moments in my mm-hmm. story. The other thing I want to jump back to, and this is, um, so, um, I didn't get sober then. <laughs> I went to multiple more music festivals. Um, but before that, at some point in my life, I, my, I, uh, something happened with my sister, and she told on me for something that I was up to at the time. And um, I, I had a, uh, an intervention, I guess you could call it, with a psychiatrist and my two parents. And basically, they're like, oh, you've got a problem, go to rehab. And I said, no, I don't have a problem. I'm not going to go to rehab. If you want to send me there, I'm going to leave this house, and you bet I can survive, which I probably couldn't have, right. but I would have tried. So there was a little arrogance there, a little, or, or was it just like, I don't want to stop. I don't want to, you know, don't take the drugs away. Yeah, it was a F you, I'm fine. Yeah, yeah, okay. And when I'm not fine, maybe I'll consider this conversation, but I don't think that's ever going to happen. 
And I said, I don't have a problem. Nothing's going to change. I'm going to do whatever. Essentially, it was you, you couldn't have been more of a middle finger to your family and their values than what I did that day. And my mom just goes, okay, well, when your mind changes, let me know and come to me. And that's another thing that I, I never would be sober today or have any semblance of, I mean, getting sober was one battle. The other battle was the de- mental disorders that I have and like getting through that anxiety and depression that that was a whole nother battle after getting sober. But I never would have made it to any of those if my mom hadn't said, okay, go, go walk your line, man. Go do what you, go do it. Right. It's that, you know, go scrape your knees up. I'm going to be here. And, and basically what that did was left my mom and dad up every night like oh this might be the night where he gets shot on the south side picking up drugs this might be the night where i get a call from jail and 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 yet they made the right call in a way your mom by forcing the issue might have been a mistake by allowing you like okay this is not the right time in your process you're not near rock bottom here i guess you know so i can't force you to do something you're not gonna do Yeah. yeah and she was just able to well she was aware that she was aware that nothing would change if I didn't think I needed to change, right? And I think that's pretty true of all human beings at this point. It's definitely true of me with habits that I struggle with today still. Um, yeah. And so, so after the so jump back to Electric Forest, that happened. I'm actually stuck in an LSD trip for a while after that, where I'm like seeing everything. It's always like cars are always a little bit wet, even when it's like midday and sunny out. I mean, it was weird, and this is for like six months. <laughs> Not, not something I recommend for oh, anyone. Oh, this, this lingered that long. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Ling- yeah, so like the heavy, heavy hallucinations lingered for like six months, and the residual effects lasted for much longer. I must have eaten a lot of things that weren't like just LSD because um, it was weird stuff happening. Yeah. Deep anxiety, fear, you know, like uh, it would come and go based on my emotions. Very, very uncomfortable stuff. Um, that still didn't stop me. I went to a few other like North Coast Music, Fest- mes- uh, music Festival and um, some other, you know, big, big parties. And uh, basically the last thing that got me sober was, uh, the last thing that happened when got me sober is I made a promise to never do something again, mm-hmm. um, which was which was basically essentially sell drugs, and it happened. Someone asked me to help them with something, and they went to jail that night. Um, it wasn't my fault, but I definitely was involved. I definitely said, hey, call this kid. He can help you out driving with him, you know, and uh, – I don't know what happened at that point, but I, I had this moment where it's bigger than me. That's what this is what it said. Like this is bigger than than Nick. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm a, you know, th- there's, you know, I like quit for a week and then I would binge drink again, like be spend the whole next day puking. You know, I told myself I'd never do opiates again. And I mean, there's a whole mess of other crazy stuff that happened to me in between. I just don't know if it's worth every story. There's some <laughs> that I'm proud of that I think are funny and like make me cool because I did cool stuff, but. This, most of it's you know pretty de- embarrassing and, and saddening and hurt everyone around me, cost right. my parents and friends money and um, undue pain probably. Yeah, and definitely a lot of undue anxiety. Yeah, for undue sure. anxiety. Right? There's no doubt about that. Yeah, um, right. But I went to rehab after that, basically uh, out of a panic attack and the, a quick realization that um, this is not, this is I'm not as big as this. You know, and, this and was the, was the biggest realization like. Oh man! If I were the guy selling that night, I would be in jail. Um, that would have I would have preferred that over the incident that happened. Got it. Um, it was just that. Yeah, I think I think it was more harming to me that someone it happened to someone else, a friend. Like, 
I would have loved. I was, I'm just. I had like real serious martyrdom at that time because mm-hmm. I thought I needed everyone to like think really highly of me. Right. And I would have loved to have traded places and like that kid would have been fine and I would have took the fall and kept my mouth shut. But it just wasn't. Whatever happened, I don't know. But the, someone was looking for him specifically, yep. right? Like the police were looking for him. Yeah. I don't know how that happened. A lot of people thought I created that incident, which I absolutely did not. But I would have. I would have traded places with him because I felt just so. I don't know, man. It's just a, a weird feeling. Like the, there were, I don't, I don't know. It was, it was bad. But I do know that something about that incident made me like. I just go, this is bigger than me. It's, mm-hmm. it's. I don't know what it was. Something happened. Maybe it was just all fear, um, you know. But I had nothing left. I just knew it, you know. Yeah. Kids thought I was a snitch. You know, I didn't have honor, even though there's no honor among thieves. You live in that delusion when you when you're in that world and you're proud of it really it's yeah. like a big badge of honor for you that like i'm this guy and i've never snitched and people didn't even think that about me there was only one guy that you know helped me out and he was like hey man you know i got you no one's gonna do anything to you i, I know you didn't do this um you'd have no reason to do this you, you know you have no benefit there's no nothing you to like rat from. him out is that what, yeah, uh, yeah yeah, yeah, yeah so they're talking okay. about to rat him out yeah sorry i'm speaking in vague no ways, you're, but yeah, you're being pretty basi- clear actually basically yeah this kid got arrested and everyone thought that i had set him up yep and yep. i didn't um i never would do that uh it feels well, like this crumbling house of cards in a way yeah, right? yeah like everything's right? falling apart and yeah. everything, all the self-worth stuff yeah is gone and literally weeks before this i'd been like I'm done. I'm never selling drugs again. I'm never going to do drugs again. You know, that girl Taylor that I was obsessed with left me. I I don't care if I say her name. You know, I was really into her and she was my self-worth and she left me and I had no self-worth again. And then that happened in my like, oh, I'm a stand-up drug dealer that's trustworthy. (laughs) That was taken from me. I knew I couldn't keep doing drugs because it didn't like, you know, it didn't fix me anymore. And I was a disaster. That happened. And it was like, all right gigs up and and this is this is why i brought up that because then i crawled back to mommy i said mom well first i came to you and i was like yo man i think i need to go away and you introduced me to an ed consultant who i still i think i reached out to her on my five-year anniversary but you know and then i went to my mom and i was like i gotta go and within 24 hours i was in a treatment center it was real quick yeah yeah yeah. and that's a whole you know i won't get into the nitty-gritty of that but i will say this i i have remained sober and i got through ages 20 20 till now, 25, mm-hmm. and I haven't had a drink or done a drug in that whole entire you know process. And there's a lot that went into it, a lot of program stuff that I do, rehab for a long time. Um, and the only reason I talk about that is because statistically I don't exist. A 20-year-old that doesn't drink or do drugs that had a serious addiction problem, statistically that's not possible. Nope. Um, and my experience with the majority of my friends is true. Like, you know... The, the every day that I'm sober is a surprise, not not the contrary. You know, whenever someone relapses, I'm like, yeah, expected that, yep. right? Yeah, that's, that's what's supposed to happen to us over and over and over yeah, again, yeah, right? Yeah. Like not just once, but you yeah. you would have been expected to relapse five times or yeah. more in those yeah. five years, right? Absolutely, and yeah. I haven't. I've had continuous recovery, and you know that's a whole other subject. That, that that's like a deep. Uh, that was a roller coaster, which you also helped me through, which I'm grateful for. But I took a, I got a lot of support. Um, and I basically did everything I was told to do for a long, long time with, you know, making mistakes and doing the wrong thing and getting into a relationship when I shouldn't have all that kind of stuff. Right. Um, that's another journey, but I think for the undue anxiety and what you've been more closely involved in is the depths and despair of my being with myself. Uh, yeah. It's interesting. Like, you know, in a way you would think like, 
okay, we could end the podcast now. Way to go, Nick. You were you're, you're sober, and yet that's just the beginning of your story, right? I mean, you know, like the sobriety. Yeah. Um, I don't even know if that was the primary goal of your recovery, for you know, for lack of a better word. No, no. So most people, well, I don't know. My experience was when I got sober, that's when everything went to shit. That's when I woke up every morning and I literally said, fuck, I'm still Nick. Shit. What do I got to do today? You can hear it in my voice. Like, oh, I, man, yeah, I like, can. Like, I got to get up. I got to go do today, right? I'm in the middle of – I'm in – I moved all the way to the East Coast. Mm-hmm. Didn't know anyone. Didn't want to make friends with anyone. You know, I'm 20 years old and I'm living in a house – I'm living in essentially a sober frat house, you know, 30 right. guys. And that was one of the greatest gifts that ever happened to me. These people are still in my life, and they still help me out. The guy who picked me up from the airport when I arrived there is still my dear friend. I have dinner with him and his wife regularly. You know, yeah. it, it's uh, – but that that's when the pain started. Like, that's when it – like, the truth. So everything that I talked about from 13 to 15, none of that went away when I started. It was just not – at the forefront of my mind. It was still there. Right. I still had the issues. I just didn't think about them as much. And so in a weird way, drugs put the pain, the undue anxiety, the <laughs> depression into remission, forced it in there. And then once you were done using, it, you were like, oh, there's me, man. Yeah. In the mirror right there. There's yeah. the fucking guy. Yeah. yeah. And it, <laughs> excruciating. Yeah. Absolutely excruciating. Sheer terror every day. And I mean... <clears throat> I'll, I'll just say this um, in case someone hears that and they're struggling. They're like, well, I don't want to go through with that. I would go through that same amount of pain 10 times longer to have one day that I have today. Truly, I would go through that excruciating wow. pain of waking up. I would do it 10 times longer than I did for one day today. Why? I don't know. I can breathe? I don't know. I don't, yeah. I don't know. You're That's, alive? You, you're, yeah. Th- yeah. I, I, guess you, I guess you can't understand until you know what it's like to feel that way all the time mm-hmm. and just to – not feel that way when I wake up now. You yeah. Know? Like right before I got sober, I'd wake up and the first thing I think about is how I have nothing going on. I'd pour a glass of whiskey and I'd smoke a joint and I'd write some stupid shit thinking I'm Hunter S. Thompson. Now I wake up, my my dog jumps into bed with me and cuddles with me and tries to fight me from getting up to go to work. And this is 6.30 in the morning where I'm getting up and I choose when I go to work because I'm in charge of myself there. You know. Um, Good gig, like you room, were saying. Yeah, you know, so I get up, I live in this... I wish you could see the place that I live in, right? No, but, I mean, I wake up and my dog – and I'm happy. Like, when I wake up, my dog cuddles with me. And, you know, I'm like, should I check my email or not? Like, let's see how long I can, like, keep this stress-free moment going. Uh-huh. And then I check my email. And I'm like, oh, shit. And I got to get up and go jump <laughs> in the shower. And, you know, I'm, I'm happy. I go – you know, there's no fuck I'm still me when I wake up in the morning. There isn't. No. Not first thing anyway. No, there's not that. That's yeah. why I'd go through the pain again because I have a days without that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's st- like I'm not, per- <laughs> I'm not perfect. I have a lot of struggles. I still, obviously, I have struggles. I still have to talk to you every couple weeks, right? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean. But th- I would go through it all again. But the back to when it wasn't great. So yeah, the pain. I mean, it was exc- it, it was so bad. I n- couldn't find enjoyment in absolutely nothing. And, and then to top it off, I would feel that way. And then I would say like, okay, so we were just talking about, I'm a 25 year old white college educated male in the United States of America. My parents aren't, you know, my parents are college educated white individuals. I've yep. got every, I, I have no 
suffering. Like I have no. You're, you're one of the privileged few. You I've have got one. it right. Yeah, like right. what? What is so wrong with me? So I would have this. I I hate being me. I'm miserable. Um, I don't know. Yeah, no, no, no. I remember. So daily suicidal thoughts. Like, um, they got worse as the longer I did. So, but daily suicidal thoughts at that point, and the there's literally no reason for it. I've got everything I could ever need. Yeah. yeah. It's all at my fingertips, but it's all like it's at the fingertips. It's not in my hands, and it's all there. So it was just this. It was it was pretty horrible. I don't know how to the the cycle in my mind was. There was no relief. There was no relief. Every every good thing was countered by a negative thing about me. The thoughts were, I mean, if you think I'm all over the place now, my brain was on hyperdrive. Combine that with like still kind of being stuck in an LSD trip, having you know a lot of MDMA. I think there are some pretty serious depression side effects from that. I haven't looked into it that much because I'm back to this point of doesn't matter anymore. It I, is what I, it I, is. I got to wake up today and it's gonna be okay. Yeah. Um, you know, but I was a mess. Uh, and at the same time, I was completely against any, I didn't really want to accept help at the same time, even right. though I really, really wanted it. I was too stubborn because I was just a disaster. Um, but long story short, you know, I stayed sober and, and the journey started to change a little bit. Um, you know, I, th I think you probably have noticed that. And so the journey changed from, you know, how can I get through today to wake up in bed to like, all right, am I ever going to have a real relationship? Um, am I ever going to know what I want to do? Am I smart enough? You know, can I do school? And all the while I had just horrendous, well, now I know it, it was horrendous depression and anxiety, which right. I just like didn't want to accept. Um, and that, yeah, I, I don't know. It, I'm trying to think back and I can't, I don't know how to describe it. Well, you know, when I when I think back to some of our talks, I think like you know that um, that lingering like not just self doubt, but this kind of like um, assurance, uh, certainty that you know like I'm not smart enough, I'm not good enough, I'm not good looking enough, I'm not I'm, I'm toxic in some fundamental way. I mean, I, I spend so much time. You and I have talked about this, like trying to convince people to be present and aware and available to the moment, and you and I have spent a lot of time where I've tried to get you to be less so because I think you're so uh, wildly self-aware that I think it's like um, if there's something to criticize in you. And you know that I feel differently about you than you do. You know, I think I'm, I'm sitting across from this guy who probably never needed to sell a drug because he's brilliant, good-looking guy, you know, um, likable guy. And, you know, and for a long time, all of that bounced off you. Like th th this was nothing you could integrate, you know? And so uh, everything had to be like something external coming in because whatever was internal was not good, no, you know, toxic. Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. Absolutely true. I, I believe, I believe that at my fundamental core was a, yeah, toxicity. And despite any effort to act differently, the, it was going to like you know it was it was uh, kind of like a curse almost it was like I was the Cubs you know what I mean like I no matter what happened I couldn't I couldn't escape that I was gonna harm people that were around me I was going to fuck everything up mm -hmm. if I touched it it turned to shit you really and 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 just to be clear for the listener Nick isn't isn't this isn't like um 
flowery language or this is sincerely yeah. what you meant. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah, that's exactly how I felt. Um, and I haven't had won the World Series yet, but I, I feel like I've got a new manager, you know. This <laughs> out. Um, it's just funny. I never even – it's funny how that happened. I don't even watch sports. That was an interesting, uh, you know, metaphor I used there. But It's a good metaphor, yeah. man. You get you hired your Joe Madden. Yeah, like, so yeah, you're exactly. on your way, right? Yeah, yeah. And so, uh, you know, the – it was a weird thing. So I was really, really sold on – uh, depression and anxiety was a condition created by pharmaceutical companies. I really believe that. I believe the DSM-5 or 4 at that time, I believe it was 4 at that time. Um, Probably. Yeah, yeah 5 is relatively new. Yeah, yeah. It was DSM-4 at the time was a concoction by pharmaceutical companies. Um, and the board, you know, I got really into it. And, you know, I said, all right, I'm going to fix this naturally. So by fixing it, um, I was going to work out all the time, um, which I did. And uh, I did CrossFit and powerlifting. You know, I was like, I'll look really good and I'll feel really good. And if I have the hot girlfriend, you know, I'll feel really good. And, and the truth is that the hot girlfriend, who wasn't ever really a girlfriend, it was this really sick relationship, made me sicker than I've ever been, even over drugs. And the exercise that I was constantly using and to an extreme level to make my depression and anxiety go away destroyed me. I had bursitis in my right side. I've had a major surgery over it. I'm still in physical therapy. I have physical therapy weekly. Um, I'm finally getting well around that. Um, but but you really paid a price, even though I think you would argue, I look pretty good. I was jacked for a while, right? I mean, and I wouldn't have claimed that I was jacked, but I was definitely more fit than most Americans. I, yeah. I can't, I can't say that I'm jacked. Like I have some buddies that are huge like that's just it's a whole nother world i've never been like that but i was really strong and i was really fit and i yeah. loved it and i felt you know i had the moments of feeling good right you know like um i had really high sex drive and you know I, that i felt confident you know a, a sexually confident um and a more physically confident and i had moments of relief but it, it still wasn't like the deep down core thing um that was going on and and it was still the I need these things, right? It was still the external things that I yeah. needed to have any, like, waking up and be like, oh, I'm still... Because that was still there a little bit, right? I'm still Nick when I woke up in the morning. And, you know, I, I'm only not still that Nick when I've got the a, a girl around or, um, you know, or I'm at the gym and I'm breaking a new record or something. Just so, something external that says I'm good enough. Because nothing internal... Yet did. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. And, you know, I don't want it to be like, you know, it wasn't, you know, at the time it was, it was decent. You know, it wasn't that bad. I, I would meditate and I would do things that were like, okay, on the inside, but it was still like, I, I always knew like it was like, still isn't, um, this still isn't right. You know, like mm -hmm. I, I wasn't being the person that I want to be. And I lied. Still not being the person I want to be working on it, but I wasn't even working on it then or it just wasn't like deep enough i don't know how to explain it precisely in fact i feel like for a while and see if you agree with this you, you were almost working against yourself like you were you were studying like you know mental illness and you know and and different ways different methods of treatment but almost looking for like deep in my soul what's really wrong with me Oh yeah, right. This, this was like the head of that's like the very beginnings of my yeah. complete conviction or uh, conviction that I had narcissistic. I was a narcissistic sociopath. Yeah, right, right, yeah, right. Yeah, as some of these uh, online blogs from angry XYs would say, I was a narcissistic vampire who sucked the life out of anyone that was around them. 
I don't think I am that way anymore, um, which is good. I, See, it's progress, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't know if I uh, ever did. But yeah, that was the beginning. I was studying psychology. And uh, there's a lot of close ties between narcissistic behavior and alcoholism. Drug dealing is a perfect example. Sure. Um, you know, God, we, man, I can't tell you how many, I think I talked to a bunch of different therapists trying to find someone that would diagnose me with that. <laughs> I don't think anyone did, which is kind of narcissistic in itself. But yeah, you know, I'm still not, I'm like 95% convinced I don't have it. There's still like 5% of me that like has moments where I think I'm real narcissistic, but um, no matter what psychiatrists and psychologists tell me. Um, none of us would give you what you were looking yeah, for. Yeah, none there. of you would be like, yeah, you're, I was looking for that. Yep, you're right. You're fucked forever. Right. I just wanted someone to be like, you're fucked. And that way I could go do whatever the fuck I wanted again. Yeah. What What was that in you that wanted that? That wanted to be like, you know, yeah, Nick, sorry, you're fucked. Like, you're screwed. You're, you're, you are um, inherently toxic uh, from the mind down. Um, so, you know, you may as well just burn it all down, whatever it is. Um, then I, I got nothing to lose. Yeah. yeah, it's all it's over. Great. And, and in a no way, you're to invulnerable too, right? Yeah. I mean, it's like it brings you back to that point of like, you know, I, I'm not vulnerable to anybody. I don't have to. My my I can't get hurt. Yeah. You know, yep. right? Yeah. All that terror and fear, excuse me, insecurity, anger. Didn't have to work on any of that anymore. None yeah. of it would matter. I'm just, this is so funny. I'm literally discovering this right now as we speak, which is this turning into a pretty good session. It's part of the me. point, man. Yeah, this is great. <laughs> right. Um, and so that, yeah, I, I wanted a reason to say, fuck it mm -hmm. really, really bad. Um, you know, I wanted the reason that I felt that way about myself, like having really, really little to zero self-worth. Yeah. Um, which again, I don't, no one caused me to feel that way. I had every opportunity and support and love in every way. Millions of people would trade places for my growth but it was it's how it was and that might be that might be a good note to pause on just for a second that you know like because uh, I work with so many parents who feel like you know geez my, my, my kid doesn't feel great about himself you know I I know I must have screwed up somewhere along the line I must not have given him enough love or enough encouragement or maybe I gave him too much false praise or something like that yeah. and to your point sometimes you just don't feel good enough and I and I I actually see that in a lot of people and a lot of um, teenagers and adults that I work with where, and they wouldn't say like, oh yeah, they did me wrong when I was eight. You know what yeah. I mean? Like I, don't, I, I rarely hear that in fact, you know? Absolutely. Um, so maybe, maybe there's something about just culturally that we're, we have this propensity toward like not feeling good enough and we have different ways of fulfilling that wish to feel better. Absolutely. Yeah. You can do absolutely everything as a parent, but you can never change the lens in which your children receive what you do for them hmm. you yeah. you could have a kid like me mm -hmm. i mean i created my dad being hard on me i was directly responsible for that my dad didn't want to be my dad wanted to be like oh good job you you spent all day studying no i didn't i spent all day selling drugs and trying to get laid that's what i did all day right that's what i did every day right so my dad i created his reaction to me and it wasn't unreasonable you know i w when you know, my dad says, hey, good job. You could have done this a little bit better. And all I hear is, you're a piece of shit. That wasn't my dad's fault. That that was, I had a lens. that I had a lens and the earmuffs on, and no parent can control their children's lens or ears, right? I'll tell you what's got me chilled right now is 
if you if you shifted that lens a few degrees, you could be a victim forever. Forever. Right? Yeah. Easy. And I think some people do that where it's like, you know, if you decided like, you know, yeah, he was the asshole. He he took he tore me down because he told me I wasn't good enough. You you could live a life. That could be your epitaph, right? Yeah. I mean, that could be on your tombstone. And and the minute you take a little accountability and recognize, oh, no, he wasn't trying to break me down. He wanted the best for me, and this is this was his way of fostering that as the, the best way he knew how, which Absolutely. might not have been perfect, but it was the best he knew how. And then, yeah. you know, and you can't really take a parent down for doing their best. Absolutely. Yeah. And <laughs> I'm not a parent yet. I, I live with a three-year-old, and I've watched her grow up. But I tell you what, every parent out there, you're going to make just as many mistakes as things you do right. It's right. not your fault. <laughs> it's really yeah, not. Right, you can't, right. like, there is no textbook for this stuff. You know, I watch the, you know, as... It's, uh, being a human is not, there's no textbook for being a human. No. I think, yeah, yeah. No, and it's all, the, the other thing about being human, I'm just listening to you, you know, just, and then we'll get back to your story. I just think about, like, the nature of process. Like, I, I had people, I had people call me today. I got a call today, and it was kind of like, Dr. Duffy, we're in crisis here. And, and I typically, if I'm being honest, I usually don't take that very seriously because, there are very few crises in life. And if you think about the kind of like the big picture, I often do what I did with you. Like, so I meet a 15-year-old, 16-year-old Nick um, who would appear to be in some kind of crisis. And I think 10 years down the road, I think this kid has what he needs to get out of this. Do I, do I think it's going to happen today or tomorrow? No. Do I think there's going to be a rocky road there? Yeah. You know, there probably is. But in the end, long term, most of us wouldn't wouldn't trade our road for anybody else's either, you know? And so if we can accept that, like, hey, whatever we're going through, it's a process, and and processes by their very nature are like running water in a river. They change and they shift. And so rarely is it hopeless because, oh, yeah. right? Yeah. You know, because the water moves, and then we're in a different part of this process, you Absolutely. know? Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, here's the – you will never – no one who is going through that rocky road will realize it's a river. You no. can't, it's not, it's, it's like watching a Western movie and them telling you that it's a, uh, you know, modern action film. It's just, no, it's not. I'm watching, I'm in the desert. I know what I am. I this, know where this I am. Is, this is what's going on. And there's nothing I believe that any outside human being can do to solve that. There's definitely a lot of things you can do to help it. I'm actually, I don't know if I, I'm not, I don't know, really. I know what it was for me. Yeah. No one, no one, this too shall pass. None of that had any bearing on what it was like when I'm curled up on the floor crying. You know, the the girl that's my self-worth doesn't want anything to do with me. Um, I can't stop thinking about suicide no matter what I do. I mean, I'm literally like a, you know, a, a grown, well, no, I was still a kid then, but I mean, the kid who walks around, I'm tough. I don't need any help, and I'm curled up on the ball, and I'm curled up on the ground crying. Yeah. And I probably was talking to you. I was probably having to call you, right? Maybe I was calling my mom, telling her, getting sober was miserable. This, you know, I, I should have just kept drinking. You know, do, throwing everything there. There's nothing that I could do in those moments, those crisis moments, to see otherwise. Right. And I, actually, I have no idea how I got through them. I, I guess I just, I, I, I guess. Like, what else is a human being going to do? Like, what else can you do? You know what I mean? that, 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 is a, that is the perfect question, right? It's like, okay, I, I have this feeling. I have this 
hand I was dealt. I have this like internal feeling I have. My option is either to go through it or what not to. You know, like you're gonna. You know, it, we we I think at the core, we have this survival instinct. We 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 want to live and we want to move forward and we want to get through things. You know, and like even you at your at your darkest hour, you know. Um, you had that suicidal thought to curl up in a ball, and it happened over and over again, right? Yeah. It was recurring and persistent, yeah. and yet here you sit. Yeah, it, w- it was daily for as long as I can remember, and it was strong. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I always believed it's, oh, you're not, uh, you know, you're not, you're not spiritual enough for your program, or you're not being honest enough with people. And I tried all these, these things, um, you know, but I just didn't enjoy anything. I wasn't happy. Um, yeah. And finally, I don't know what it was. I think I lost my. Oh, I caught that girl sleeping with someone else. That's oh, right. what happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I didn't. She, I didn't really catch her sleeping with someone else. She was sleeping with someone else. It was kind of like par for the course. Like it's kind of funny now, but I mean, um, you know, it was like a big dramatic. Uh, you know, oh, you know, we. She had been going through some stuff. I've been going through some stuff. She, you know, couldn't stay sober. To put it simply, even though she was telling me she was. And I found out about it, and I was like, I'm done with you. You keep drinking. And, uh, you know, the right thing for me to do is to, is to stay away because you got to go through your journey. Right. And that was the right thing to do, but I couldn't manage that because she was my self-worth. Um, and I was sick then. I mean, like, this is when the depression was really bad. She made it all that go away. And um, she was also an awesome human being. Now, that's the that's the, the kicker usually with these sort of situations. It wasn't just this, like, chemical side of it. There was uh, some true greatness to her. Um that I still believe, and I haven't talked to her in five years or so now, or mm. four years. I don't know. It's been a really long time. Thank God for that. But, um, you know, I we I confessed finally for the first time that oh, I have feelings for you. And then that same night, I caught her. She was like sleeping with my neighbor. It was very, you know, people do what they do. Um, but that that was like the tip of the iceberg. And I finally, I lost my mind, and I finally went to a doctor and I took a medication for the first time ever. And I took some bad... As prescribed. Like, yeah, this is not just like abusing yeah. a drug. This yeah. is taking a medication. Yeah. I was sitting across from someone who knew me very closely. And he goes, buddy, I don't think this is you. He was like, I think that this is chemical. And he was like, this is something else going on. So, um, you know, there's some, some other stuff going on. But basically, you know, that was a much longer journey, what happened with her and that whole, like, codependent realization that, you know, I really, really depend on other people to tell me how I feel. But the, the gift of that was I was able to admit that I have a chemical thing going on, which right. I, I still am a skeptic on it, which is weird because – so I started taking an antidepressant, and within six months, I went from daily suicidal ideations and obsessions to having zero symptoms, and nothing else changed besides me adding that medication. So, so do we give that med all the credit? Do we say like, hey man, like, you know, Prozac or whatever it is, man, that's magic. That's, that's, uh, that erases not just suicidal ideation, but it erases depression. It erases anxiety. So I still have a lot of other problems, but Mm -hmm. this is, this is, so I'm grateful that I was fought it off for so long because I was able to learn these habits about like, all right, what do you got to do every day? Like when you wake up and you don't want to get out of bed every day, when you don't want to go to school, you're miserable, you don't want to do anything. This is my self-talk all the yep, time. Yep. I learned how to like get up, go to the gym anyway, try and talk to a girl even though you're insecure, try and, you know, accept your all this shit, all the stuff that they, all the self-help books, all the stuff that I tried. 
Yeah, you fought upstream, man. I you fought, did for yeah, a yeah. long time. Yeah. And maybe that was just the missing piece to the puzzle mm-hmm. was this thing, right? And for a while, I thought it was placebo effect, and I went off of it. And within three months, I was back on – literally back on the ground. It was a year later, and it was the same day. It was the 4th of July. Wow. The exact same day, and I was on the I was on the ground crying again. Uh-huh. And I was like, fuck, I stopped taking these meds. <laughs> so I had to take them. And there – you know, it was, a, it was a thing. There's some side effects, right? Like I had some sexual side effects. I gained a lot of weight. Um, like, you know, I'm still like 6% more body fat now, even though my diet's better. Um, I train a lot differently, so maybe that's a part of it. But – there's some side effects now to find some better medications that are less side effects. But the truth is, man, I haven't, I, I don't want to, I haven't thought about committing suicide at all. Like at all. I could not imagine that. It's the opposite of that. Like I have, oh, the fight has just begun now. It's like, I'm going to do whatever I got to do in this life. Right. I'm make it happen. I'm going to yeah, make yeah, something yeah. happen, which is, which is literally the exact opposite of where I was before, which was, I don't want to do anything. I would rather be a narcissistic sociopath that could burn everything down and go destroy their life. That seemed like the most attractive, like going to work, waking up early, showing up for a boss, doing anything you don't want to do. Fuck all of that. I'm going to go burn it all down. And if either I'm going to kill myself or I'm going to do it with drugs and alcohol, it's going to be one of these two things. Right. It's going to happen fast or slow. Yeah. And this is the thing. I'm going to love every second of it, including the pain, the misery and the agony. It's better than the pain of, dealing with myself now it's the opposite you know struggles are kind of an opportunity now like i i learn usually like i make a lot of mistakes and i learn from them you know i'm less insecure about you know i go out on dates all the time and i don't care that i'm sober that was like a huge thing where going out with a girl sober i mean i never (laughs) i never went out on a date with a girl i I, from the moment i lost my i lost my virginity high i think i probably never had any interaction with a woman sober wow from the day i started drinking until you know what i mean it just yeah. that's how it was i was doing drugs and drinking all the time and all of that is is gone all all of it's gone and i still have a lot of issues don't get me wrong but that obsessive suicidal depression don't want to get out of bed in the morning thinking of just these horrible things like it, it was just like it all clicked and everything everything started like all the stuff i learning all the habits why I was talking to you, all of that started to come to fruition and like the things started having effect on me finally. All right. So if I'm, if I'm on the other end of the speaker here and I'm listening, um, so I hear this harrowing story, right, of drug use and abuse and, you know, near death experiences literally and, you know, um, you know, rehabilitation and programs and, um, and this enormous self-doubt that goes on and on and on. And then I take these medications, and then in a short period of time, man, I'm whole. I, or I, I, maybe not perfect, but that that death wish, that that draw toward you know suicide, that's gone. And um, now everything feels like it's building and progressive. It almost feels like wow, it feels too good to be true. Like you know, yeah. it all, you know, what do you think? Is it fair to ask you to identify? The, the, the flip that switched that, you know, made that happen? Because I, I think it's, it's naive of us to say, like, you know, whatever med you took, that was the thing. You know what I mean? Like, I'll buy that there's a chemical imbalance in the brain and that the med can facilitate something, but there's got to be a change of mind somewhere, right? Something in your mind has to shift in order to allow for all that suicidality to abate and for you to say, you know what, I'm a worthwhile person and I'm, I'm going to be 
progressive and forward thinking and the idea of taking my life or ending my life or not living my life, that's that's unthinkable to me now. Yeah, so now I know what you mean. Yeah, because I don't think it was just this pill that fixed me. It definitely mm-hmm. helped. But so I was thinking like, you know, oh, why am I good now? Like I still have almost all the same issues that happened as before, right? You know, like a definitely struggle opening up with in relationships. I have a big guard up and I don't know if I'm even close to willing to change that yet, right? Like things are good now, I'm protected, I like it, right? Yeah. So there's things that I still have struggles with, right? Um but I went from complete like this will never change. I will never get better. Ever. Nothing you or anyone tells me. I just had like this minute sense of like it's over and like I don't it's like program it's like in true detective when he's like well why are you here well it's programming I have to get out of bed every day I'm programmed to do it I don't have the constitution for suicide even though I want to um real pessimistic uh thinking and hope came in like you can get better and then open-mindedness about things that I was scared of right so I think it was was it this summer so I get into these modes where I like, you know, really, really seclude myself. I get comfortable with my routine and you, yeah. and like, uh, you were telling me, you know, like this guy told me the story. He's like, you know, when you were 11 years old, you probably had a shirt that you really, really, really loved. Right. It was your favorite shirt. You wore it all the time. Right. How would that, you know, that shirt made you really happy at the time. Right. And he's like, how would that shirt feel today? He's like, well, I'm a hundred pounds heavier now. It would not fit. It'd be horribly uncomfortable. It's like, that's kind of how life works. You got to keep changing your shirt. Um, that's good. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. so most recently it was something as simple as this. And maybe this doesn't mean – but I just started asking people to hang out with me. You know, like I had a good routine. I wake up every morning. I go to work. I have my dog. I go to the gym. Then I go out on a date basically, you know, five nights a week. That's yep, what I would yep. do. It was good. But I didn't really – wasn't that into the dates. Loved the gym. Loved my dog. Loved work. Um, weekends, you know, I just rested a lot because I work really hard during the week. But I wasn't like – communicating with anyone again i wasn't having real deep social interactions and you i don't know how the hell you know this stuff but you told me to just nick ask someone to hang out with you yeah and i did and i've been hanging out with people more like little things like that that is on that was unthinkable before nick just hang out with someone it'll be better no way that's not how it's going to be right right and this was you know and so like the the change so it went from when i'm experiencing this thing where, oh, I'm going to be alone forever. I'm not going to have any friends. No one likes me. I'm a piece of shit. Kill yourself. Too. Right. I'm having a hard time. I'm not that comfortable right now. Um, you know, Dr. Duffy tells me to hang out with some people. I try that. Do you see like that? that I do. Yeah, I feel yeah, the that's, progression. That's the big, that's it. You know what I mean? Right. That, that hope and that open-mindedness and that willingness. I, I don't know if it's, I don't know. I was just, I never could have fathomed those type of things before. Like, try hanging out with someone. It might make you feel better. You know, and, and here's here's how um, so so I, I'll I'll tell the, that story from my perspective just 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 um, because I see it the same way. I'll just use different language a little bit. Here's uh, I think I met a guy who had everything he needed, um, but had no idea. You know what I mean? So ten years ago, I'm sitting across from this kid, and I'm thinking like, and and you know this, I'm thinking this kid is awesome. I like he's he's cool. He's happening. Um, and he's enterprising and he doesn't, he knows you're your only blind spot. Like, you know, you, you, you could see the world around you, but you couldn't see you. And I so desperately wanted you to be able to see you the way I saw you. And gradually over time, after you get sober, I think you had the courage to be 
more available to yourself, and then maybe two available to yourself so that you, you know, so that some of that fear and judgment and ego that you, that was consuming you dissipated enough that you could then be available to other people and connect with other people. And, um, and then that's where I think the hope comes from is like, you know, being, um, connected and, and being disconnected, uh, which I think you were up until that point, you know, like, and, and the rest of it was all smoke and mirrors. Like you had people around you, there were people buying from you. There was people sleeping with you and whatever, but it was not connection. It was different than that. You know what I mean? Like, and you, you can be really close to people physically. A lot of the time you can be at electric forest and feel like, oh, I'm all alone because I'm the only addict here. Everyone else is just having a party here. You know what I mean? Like, and, you know, and now I think you're a guy who, right, it, it, you're in a process. I don't know that you're done with the process. I don't know if you're ever done with the process. I'm not but done you're, with it. Right. But you're definitely connecting. And to, and I'll say this because I don't think you will, it takes courage to do that. It is, it is, you, your, your ass is on the line because when you're going to hang out with people, well, you risk that they don't want to hang out with you, right? Every single time you're, you're at risk. And that this is for you, Nick, I think this is like the deepest, darkest fear. And I think this is true for a lot of people is like, people aren't going to want me, mm. you know? Absolutely. And, um, and you know, to, to show yourself like, hmm, maybe they do. Maybe I bring something to the table other than just artifice and mm. bullshit, you know? Um, and I, and I think you're slowly, <laughs> you've come a long, long fucking way. And I think you slowly like are really kind of grasping that. And, you know, and I get like you, you've said many times, um, as a caution, like, Hey, I'm not there yet, you know, and I don't know if I'm going to get all the way there, yeah. but I'm moving, you know, yeah. like, and, and maybe that's, that's the key is to keep moving forward instead of just sitting still and, or just laying on the ground and never getting up. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And I rarely give myself credit because I've had so much help and I've always kind of felt like a, you know, kind of judge myself a little bit for that, right? The fear, judgment, and ego. Oh, I had, yeah. to, I had to rely. I had to rely on a lot of help from right. people, from from you, from, you know, extremely expensive treatment centers that almost put my parents broke. You know what I mean? Like these things that I really, really heavily leaned on. Yeah. Um, I needed help from them. But I'd never, yeah, I, I kept getting out of bed every morning. Like, yep. That's true. Like, you know, I, I kept going, you know, and I'm really, yeah, I guess I'm going to give myself credit for that. I never gave up. I didn't. I, Even I, though I thought I did many times, yeah. I never actually, I never actually gave up. You know, and it's, uh, to, to our listeners, this is a rare thing that Nick gives himself credit for something. <laughs> it's, this is a kind of like a really profound moment. Like I'm, uh, it's a, right. I mean, yeah. It's kind of yeah. a big deal. Yeah, I'm I'm doing pretty good right now, and I'm yeah, and I'm I'm gonna take some of the credit for that, you know that I it's because I kept showing up. Yep. Really. Yep. You know what I mean? I kept showing up. Is there um, you know, I'll put you on the spot here a little bit. Is there anything kind of a a, a galvanizing uh, idea that you've learned through all these years and all these experiences and and where you are now that you want somebody out there in the ether to hear? that we haven't touched on yet, or maybe just to reinforce something we've already said? Um, a few, a bunch of things keep jumping through my head. Um, the first thing is give yourself a break. <laughs> hmm. That's a, that's a weird one, especially for anything one, like though, right? that. That's so weird. Who, you know, if you give yourself a break, you're going to fail. Not usually the case. Um, right. 
The other one I have this thing. It says do right and risk the consequences. Um, <laughs> That's yeah. so great. Yeah, you know, you're at the mercy of your own decisions. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, I can't really put it into into words. It's a uh, that's that's like the the big one is just kind of like uh kind of gotta you kind of gotta do some things yeah and it's gonna happen the way it's gonna happen yeah it, yeah and i think your story by and large speaks for itself it, it is it is the message you know what i mean like it's like okay you're, you 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 go through these processes and as you become as you can put your your fears aside or face them right and overcome them you become more fully human, right? Yeah. And and and, um, and maybe that puts you in vulnerable spots, but the more fortitude you gain over time, the more you can withstand the vulnerability instead of it crushing you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And and just you know, uh, put down the you know, I don't know if you're Catholic, but there's like the 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 be- like the thing where you punish yourself. Part put down the whip that you're beating oh, right, yourself right, with, yeah. right? Like it's not helping. Um, and I'm, trust me, I am the worst at that. Like I was just in, we just talked about this before I walked in. I had to go into my boss's office on Friday and apologize to him because I was being what I felt was very resistant and rigid in some things. And he was telling me to do some stuff and I was fighting him on it. And I said, you know, that's not helping anyone. You know, we're in a really grindy, I'm at a startup. It's unbelievably difficult. And I was thought I was making it more difficult. And, I'm, and I've been beating my ass over it all week. And he go, and I sat down and told him this. And he goes, dude, I have no idea what you are talking about. You're doing a great job. Give yourself a break. He told me that, right? Mm-hmm. And, you yep. know, and so, like, that's the kind of thing where I, I don't know, you got people, uh, you know, no one needs any help beating, <laughs> no one needs any help getting beaten down in this world, you know. It'll usually right, right, right. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. Nick, man, I, I so appreciate you taking an hour to spend with me here. Um and I, I'm going to say something to you that I don't know if I've ever said before, but um, you're, you're you're a bright spot in my life, and um, and and you are even at your darkest hour, and I've seen a couple of them. You are somehow like kind of this bigger than life, full of life person, and um, and so I want you to know like that I have this deep appreciation for you and your perspective on things. Um, I'm always curious to know it. It's, um, it's a crime that you cut me a check at the end of an hour. (laughs) Um, so thank you for being here and sharing your story and your wisdom. Um, it's, uh, it's what this is supposed to be about. And you're, when I put this thing together, man, uh, you know, I know you're from out of town. You're one of the few people I was like, I want, Nick in this chair talking to these people. So thank you for being here, man. Well, thank you, Dr. Duff. That's extremely flattering. Um, I am a very judgmental person, and I I think extremely highly of you. And uh, one of the few people whose word I take as their word and uh, no no ulterior motives are involved. So that was a a huge compliment. Thank you. And um, (laughs) you are one of the most important people in my life, and you have been for about the past nine years. And you know me better than anyone else. So thank you very much for your time. And happy to be a part of this. Um, you know, I hope, uh, hope someone gets something out of it. I don't, I don't know. You know, I feel like I just came in and talked about a bunch of crazy drug stories and then how I stopped being depressed, but 
you know, life is good now, and, and I couldn't have done it without you. And well, thank you. And and I and I I suspect a lot of people are going to benefit from your stories and just the self worth elements. And you know, there there's an awful lot there to draw from. Yeah, that this is the last. Um, people told me this over and over again. It took me years to believe it. You are actually worth it. Um, you're yeah. you're worth it. Um, you're not broken. You're worth it. I'm like crying saying this. You mm-hmm. actually are worth it. So just keep going. Okay, before Nick and I just fall apart here, <laughs> I'm going to sign off. So thank you again, man. Um, you can find the Undo Anxiety podcast on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, LiveLeadPlay.com, WGN+. Um, if you have any thoughts about what we ought to cover here or if you or somebody you know would like to be a guest on this podcast, uh please write me um, either at Dr. John Duffy on Facebook or at um, John G. Duffy at drjohnduffy.com. I think I've got that right. Um, And uh, there is on my website, drjohnduffy.com, a free parenting program. It's not arduous. It's just a few videos to watch. and It will be a better parent as a result. Um, Nick, I thank you again for joining me. And on behalf of Nick and myself, we appreciate your time. And I look forward to talking to you next time. Take care.